Welcome to Sermon Audio from King Street Church, where it's our purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. For more information about our church, please visit our website at kingstreetchurch.com. If you have a copy of God's Word, we are continuing in 1 Thessalonians. We are still in chapter 1. And this week, the focus of our time will be in verses 4 through 6. But I want to read the whole chapter once again. This was written as a letter, not a bunch of random statements. And so it's good for us to see it in context. And so I'm going to read this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Paul stepped into this city of Thessalonica proclaiming the gospel of God. And there was a strong conviction in his heart and his mind that what he proclaimed was truly God's gospel. That's why at the beginning of Romans chapter 1 and in other places, Romans 1 verse 1, he says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. So not only is it the gospel about God, it is also God's gospel. And if it's his gospel, Paul knows he has no right to do anything to alter it or to change it. It's not his, it's God's in that sense. He's not making it up. He's not going about his way thinking whatever he... He wants to think or saying whatever he wants to say. He is proclaiming God's gospel and he must remain faithful to it. That, that realization that what he preached was God's, a message from God, captured the mind and the heart of Paul. But in verse 5, in chapter 1, Paul calls it, speaking for Silas and Timothy as well, he calls it our gospel. 
He says it's His. And when He says that, when He says it's our gospel, He doesn't mean to say that it's His message to do with it as He pleases. What He means is that God's gospel has become His gospel. He finds His life and His strength and His hope in it. Every Christian in this room should have a taste of that. You should be able to truthfully say that you trust in God's gospel and that this good, wonderful, marvelous good news has become good news to you. It has become yours. Doesn't every preacher of the word, doesn't every evangelist, every church member who goes and shares the gospel, everyone who claims the name of Christ need to be able to say, this is my beloved gospel with Paul. Well, not only does Paul say that it is his gospel in verse 5, but he goes on in that same verse to say this, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In other words, Paul didn't settle for words only. He lived it. This Gospel that had become his changed his life. And this changed life was evidence that the word that he preached was truly a word from God and that it had a miraculous power to be able to save. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 8, that he imparted not only the gospel of God, but his own life. He did both of those. And my prayer is that we would take those two realities, the gospel being ours and us sharing our gospel-empowered lives with others, and that we would pray for God to give us a boldness and a courage to display both of those to as many people as we can before we die. Don't waste your life on trivial matters. The man and the woman who love God call God's gospel their own and they seek to make it known to as many people around them as possible. This is what Paul did in Thessalonica. And I wish that we could just capture a little glimpse of what he felt and what he meant when in chapter 2, verse 20, he thinks about these Thessalonians that he labored among and he says this, for you, talking to this church, you are our glory and joy. It brought happiness to Paul's heart to know that his labor, his work, his preaching among the people of this town was not in vain, but that God had worked miraculously through his proclamation to save people, to bring them from life to death to bring them from being under the wrath of God to being in the wonderful, gracious embrace of God. And this made Paul very thankful. And so in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said that he gives thanks to God always for the Thessalonians. He went among them proclaiming the gospel, living the gospel, sharing his life. And in verse 3, as we saw last week, he tells us one of the reasons why he was thankful for them. 
And that's because in all of this work, even though he had to leave town early because of persecution, he hears report of their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. That's verse 3. Faith, love, and hope with their fruits of work, labor, and endurance were the very things that Paul needed to see to have assurance that these people who say they received Christ were being genuine, that their faith was real. It needed a faith that works, a love that labors for the benefit of others in the church, and a hope that produces endurance. They weren't like the seed that fell among the rocky soil that got choked or or that didn't have any depth of soil and shriveled up and died when persecution came. Or the seed that fell among the Uh, The soil with the thorns around it, that whenever it sprang up quickly, it got choked out by all the cares of the world and died. That's not what these Thessalonians were like. They had a hope that endured. So that was the first reason why he gives thanks to God, because he calls to his mind these evidences in verse 3, that they're real, that God is truly at work in their midst. And this morning, we're going to turn our focus onto the second reason that Paul gives for why he's thankful for the Thessalonian church. And once we see that reality that he's thankful for, once we see that reality, we're going to ask, how does Paul know that that reality is real? So, What second truth or reality causes Paul's heart to give thanks to God? And then how does Paul know that that truth or that reality actually exists among this church? So let's begin by seeing the second reason why Paul is thankful to God for this church. And we see it in verse 4. Keep in mind, we're dealing with reasons why Paul is thankful here in this entire first chapter. In verse 2, Paul said, We give thanks to God always for all of you. And then he gives the first reason in verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. So the first reason, the key to Paul's thankfulness towards God for this church is constantly remembering evidences of God's grace in their lives. And then we get to the second reason. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Verse 5, knowing, brethren beloved by God, His choice of you. So at first, Paul says he's thankful to God for what is being displayed in the life of the Thessalonians. Their work, their labor, their endurance. And now he's saying he's thankful to God for what God has caused them to be by his sovereign choice. So verse 3 was evidence in the Thessalonian church's life that testified to what God has done and is doing. But verse 4 highlights what God has done in eternity past, which is later seem to be true by the evidence of their life. 
Paul says he's thankful to God because he knows or he perceives or he sees God's choice of the church in Thessalonica. This is not a new teaching. God has consistently shown himself throughout the Bible to be a choosing God. And he chooses based on his sovereign grace. Not based on any righteousness that we've done. Not based on anything that he's foreseen in us. Like some faith that we were going to have by our own self-deterministic will. You, you go throughout the entire Bible. You go read why it is that God chose pagan Abraham. And see if you can find a reason. Other than God simply wanted to. Go see if there's something about pagan Abraham that led God to calling him. Go to the depths of Moses' conversation with God in Exodus 33. Enter into the words that are being exchanged between Moses and God. When Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I show compassion. When Paul reminisces on Jacob and Esau and how God had chosen the younger brother to, he he chose the younger brother over the older brother. He says this, thinking about that situation. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad. Now why? Why did God choose the younger brother over the older when they were twins, not yet born, Neither one of them had done anything good or bad. The next phrase. He did it this way. So that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It couldn't be any more clear than that. God's election, God's choice of people before the foundation of the world, as Ephesians 1 says, is not because of any goodness He foresaw in us. And it's done this way, God has done it this way, so that it wouldn't be because of works, but because of He who is gracious and calls. It would be based on His choice, based on His calling, not based on our Inherent goodness. So Paul is thankful for this church because God chose these Christians in Thessalonica. But see, even though works don't coerce God to choose, that's kind of the point of his choice, right? Even though works don't coerce God to choose, those whom He chooses will bear fruit of good works. Just, just notice the similarity between 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, our, our verse this morning, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So here's 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. It says, Knowing, brethren beloved by God, His choice of you, Now pay attention to those two words, beloved and choice. Now here's Colossians 3.12. So then, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. In both of these verses, Paul is dealing with people who are called beloved by God and chosen of God. But in Colossians 3.12, Paul makes it clear that there's 
something expected of those who were chosen of God. So let's, let's finish the verse. Colossians 3.12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You don't become chosen by God by doing these things. But if you are chosen by His free, sovereign grace, you ought to and will live this way. There is a responsibility that comes with being God's chosen people. There's a faithfulness and a holiness that He calls us to as His redeemed people. There is no such thing as being chosen by God to do nothing. There's no such thing as being a chosen person of God, created in Him to be idle, created in Him to be a sluggard, created in Him to continue in your sinful ways. That idea doesn't exist in the Bible. And because that's the case, Paul expects that there are some basic evidences that he would see to indicate that this church in Thessalonica were truly chosen by God. They will live this way if they are, and so if we start to see that, we can know that they are. We can perceive that they are. So verse 4 teaches us that Paul is thankful to God for the Thessalonian church because God chose them before the foundation of the world. But we can't just know that. We can't just go around thanking God for choosing people without some kind of reason to think that certain people are His. And so then let's turn to how Paul knows that God has chosen these people in Thessalonica. Because if we want to be thankful to God for one another, it's important that the evidence that Paul saw in the Thessalonians can also be seen in us. If we want to be thankful to God for one another, for this fact that God has chosen us, we, we can perceive that we are God's people, that He chose in eternity past, then we need to be able to see some of the same evidences in us that Paul saw in the Thessalonians that tipped him off to say, yes, these people are God's people. And we know that we're about to read why Paul can discern or see or perceive that this church is chosen when we get to the word for in verse 5. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, verse 5, for, and then he lists the reasons. He gives us two basic reasons. The first one is in verse 5. The second one is in verse 6. So let's start in verse 5. Here's reason number one. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, when I first read that verse about the gospel not coming in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with conviction and assurance, the first thing that came to my mind was that Paul is speaking about something happening in the recipients of the gospel. 
and the recipients, the Thessalonians themselves. I thought of Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God to save. And so the gospel didn't just come in words. It, it attended the hearts of the Thessalonians by God powerfully working in them to save them. Now, that did happen. We know that from other places in the Bible that that is what happens when God saves us. But under further observation in this text, it became clear to me that Paul is not primarily talking about the recipients in verse 5. He's talking about the preachers. He's talking about the ministry of the gospel. He's saying, our gospel didn't just come forth from us in word only. It also sprang forth from us in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. It's like Paul saying there was something supernatural at work in us when we were among you. Now I'll give you three reasons why I think that. That Paul is speaking about primarily the preachers, the gospel ministry, a power perceived by them in their own hearts, in their own ministry, in their own preaching. And the first reason is, in, is outside of this book. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Because he says something very similar. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. He says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul's preaching in Corinth was not just the simple words of man. And it certainly didn't rest in man-powered rhetorical skill, being able to stand in front of people and just amuse the crowds. Instead, his preaching was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. There was something otherworldly going on when Paul preached in Corinth. It was something more than just ordinary speech. It was greater than the power of man. It was greater than the power of a, of a crowd of people who can get themselves all, all riled up and ready to receive something. It was greater than that. It was something different than that. It was greater than his ability to just captivate an audience. His preaching had the Spirit's power written all over it. And I'm suggesting that what happened to Paul in Corinth is what happened to Paul in Thessalonica. So that's the first reason. The second reason why I think Paul is talking about a power from the Holy Spirit with full assurance in his own preaching ministry while in Thessalonica is because this, is seem, this seems to be what is constantly referred to in, in the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Just, just listen to these verses. They seem to indicate some type of supernatural power at work in the actual gospel preaching, in the actual ministry of Paul. Chapter 2, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians. He says this, We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So there was a boldness that came directly from God. And that boldness from God is what marked Paul's preaching. Chapter 2, verse 4. 
Paul says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. Verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech. So once again, the gospel preaching ministry of Paul in Thessalonica was like that in Corinth. He didn't come with just rhetorical skill and words of man's wisdom. It was marked by a supernatural boldness and commitment to please God. There was a conviction to speak the oracles of God, not what man wants to hear. And lastly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now that one, admittedly, it begins to blur the lines between the power that Paul felt as he's ministering the gospel among them with the power at work in the Thessalonians. But what you'll see is that those two things are not too far off from one another. But it still communicates that there's this reality of something special happening in the preaching ministry of the gospel by Paul and Silas and Timothy when they were in Thessalonica. And so we've seen from outside of this letter in 1 Corinthians... An example, we've seen a few examples in this letter. And now I want to show you one more reason. One more reason why I think that the power spoken of in verse 5 is primarily a power in the preaching and ministry of the preachers of Paul and Silas and Timothy. So here's the third reason. Because that's what verse 5 says. Let's read it again. Verse 5 says, The gospel did not come to you in word only. So we're dealing with the act and the mode of the gospel being delivered and preached. It didn't come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Here's what Paul's saying. When I preached the gospel to you Thessalonians, something powerful was happening. There was a power at work in my preaching that was absolutely impossible to be ignored. There was a boldness, there was a courage given to me by God that could not be artificially produced. And there was an assurance, there was a conviction in my preaching. Yes, even I, the Apostle Paul, who was convinced of the gospel was given even a greater indescribable assurance when I was among you. Paul's gospel preaching was more than just words. It was miraculously empowered by the Spirit. Now here's what tripped me up though. How is Paul's supernatural Holy Spirit-empowered preaching evidence that God chose the Thessalonians. That doesn't seem to make sense. Aren't you empowered when you go preach and people don't even receive you? I 
I mean, of course, if the power is at work in the Thessalonians, then we can perceive that God chose them. But what does the preacher or the, or the evangelist or the church member sharing the gospel with others, what does their experience of Holy Spirit empowerment have to do with knowing whether or not someone else is chosen of God? That's an idea I hadn't quite thought of before. It's a question I never really asked. But it's here in this text. He's given this as a reason. Brothers and sisters, when I saw the last phrase of verse 5, it absolutely blew me away. Here's what it says. The end of verse 5. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Literally, just as you know what kind of men we became to you for your sake. What does Paul mean when he says that? What's the connection of just as you know with talking about His Holy Spirit empowerment in His preaching? I'll give you an example. It's probably not the best one, but I I thought of it, so I'll give it to you. What if I were to say to my wife, Honey, my love for you is not in word only, but in deed and action. Just as you know what kind of man I proved to be towards you. The essence of what I'm saying there is that I recognize and perceive that my love for my wife is not merely talk, but I live it out just as she knows. The way in which I experience my love for her in word and deed has been recognized and perceived by her as well. Now back to verse 5. Paul's saying that his gospel came with a supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered force And the emboldened, God-empowered gospel ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy was perceived as such by these Thessalonians. These Thessalonians, in their hearts, they realized what kind of men these three were. And they realized all this preaching and all this gospel empowerment is for our sake. There were all kinds of traveling preachers that would come through Thessalonica. But these men were different. These three men were different. These men became to them messengers of God, speaking the words of God. This this realization for the Thessalonians was so vivid and so clear to them that they perceived all of this divine power in their gospel and in their ministry as being for their sake. It's almost like they could say, God is with you. We can tell that God is with you and that you're speaking His good news. It's like you men were sent directly by God to us to tell us this. Don't you see how this would be wonderful evidence that God had chosen these Thessalonians? Everybody else who didn't receive the gospel wanted these men gone. But these few, 
They saw something of the power of God in their words. They perceived God's work and their ministry and they knew that all that's happening through them is for us. This is who they've become to us for our sake. They received the messengers and their message. John Calvin couldn't have said it any better, I don't think. He said, It had been the design of God in honoring Paul's ministry that he might manifest to them their adoption. So through honoring the ministry of Paul, it was God's design to manifest through honoring their preaching that they were his and that they had been sent to them for that purpose. I wonder if you've ever tasted this before. God at work in you as you proclaim His truth. Some special moment in which you are empowered and given the courage to proclaim the gospel with full assurance. And the person that you're talking to may not be the first time. It may not even be necessarily while you're speaking at that moment. But the person that you're talking to feels as though you were sent right at that moment to speak to them on behalf of God. And they receive the gospel. And they perceive that your visit with them is the greatest blessing they've ever had. Surely this inner testimony of the Spirit as you preach, as you proclaim the gospel, coupled with them recognizing that your message is not just a message of a man, surely this would give you reason to believe that this person is chosen of God. This is one of God's people. The evidence that I'm seeing right now before me is the result of God's sovereign grace and choosing this person in eternity Past. Friends, don't you want to experience that? Don't you want to know and taste the power of the Spirit at work in you as you proclaim the gospel? I thought about this. I was talking to a friend and we were just, we were just thinking about not only were there moments in which Paul felt the Spirit actually leading him to certain cities, but now he's in these cities and he feels God at work in him. Don't leave this up to chance. Pray for boldness. Jesus promised that He'd give us the Spirit so that we would have power to be His witnesses. Paul, Paul thought of this very miracle taking place. And this is a miracle. New birth, regeneration, the Spirit working in people's hearts. This is a miracle. He thought of this and he asked for prayer as we read earlier in 2 Thessalonians, he said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. This wasn't just on command for Paul. He deeply depended on God to give him power and boldness to proclaim. And he knew that God would have to be at work for the word to spread rapidly as it did with the Thessalonians. I don't know about you, but I want to taste something of what Paul means in verse 5. I want my heart to be overflowing with thankfulness towards God for experiencing His power at work within me. I want to know this reality as His chosen people perceive that I've been almost just, it's like I've been sent for their sake. How many people 
does God have in this city? In which the only way He plans to reach them is by sending you and by sending me to work by His power for their sakes. And when we do that, when we're obedient to that, they'll see it. They'll perceive it. So that's the first evidence of this church being chosen by God. Paul's own ministry of the gospel. But there's one more reason. We see it clearly in verse 6. So let's read. Let's read it. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So here we're not dealing with the ministry of the preachers. Now we're dealing with the faith of the Thessalonians. But when you read that verse, you might expect it to be said the other way around. You might expect it to say you received the word and then became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus. Right? Surely the receiving of the word comes first. That's not what Paul says. Paul says they became imitators of him and of Jesus. And he does that to separate himself from Christ. He's not, he's not grouping himself in as Christ. It's, that, it's, as though they've, it's as though they've imitated him and they've gone further and imitated Jesus. And all of that imitation was evidenced by the fact that they received the gospel in the midst of extreme suffering with joy. You see, imitating Paul and imitating Jesus by persevering through affliction was not something that they learned to do when they matured in their faith. This is something they did right away. There was a point in time in which they were not imitators of the Lord. And then there was a point in time in which they became imitators. And they weren't just hearers anymore. They weren't spectators anymore. They lived, think about it, they lived in this pagan society filled with idols. Constantly looming over their head is the threat of losing their homes and their jobs and their family and their friendships. If they were to receive the word preached by these traveling preachers, they would be outcasts. They would be the runts of society. They might even be at risk of losing their freedom or even their lives. But there came a point in which these chosen people of God said, you can threaten us and persecute us all you want, but we cannot turn away from this word because what these men are saying is from God. And we rejoice in it. They weren't like the seed that fell on the rocky soil. You know, when Jesus tells that parable, He says that those people immediately receive the Word with joy. And then their family says, you're not one of us if you believe that. Or their neighbors say, who's this foolish bigot? Their country says, you're not allowed to believe in such a hateful thing. And immediately, immediately, the word's used again. Just as quickly as they received it with joy, that's how quick they fell away. 
These Thessalonians were different. They had all of these same threats. But in the midst of their affliction, they received the gospel with joy. A joy that can only be given by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what a spectacle it would have been to be a a traveler coming through. This was a very popular town, a merchant town. A lot of business going on in this city. It was a hub for all of these things. Just imagine someone pulling into this city and hearing about these Jesus followers. Christians is what they called them. These little Christs. It was a derogatory term. These, These Christians in this city... They're the outcasts of society here in Thessalonica. Yet something about the gospel that they hold dear and the Savior that they trust in makes them the most joyful people in town. Any wonder why their faith might spread all throughout the region? You see, it's not enough to just hold on to some words, friends. One of the greatest threats in this cultural Christianity that we live in is that many of you would receive the gospel in word only and it would just be a very sweet theory to you. But the proof is whether or not you perceive the preaching of God's word as God's word. The proof is whether or not you cling tightly to the gospel and the promises of God. If you rejoice in them, even when the world says leave it or die. And when the world says leave it or die, you say, don't you know that to leave this is to die? If I left this, I would die. Jesus is my life. He is my hope. That's the evidence of true faith. Paul saw the joyful, enduring faith of the Thessalonians given by the Holy Spirit. And they perceived the power of His gospel which was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So their faith was given by the Holy Spirit. The empowerment was given by the Holy Spirit. And he knew that both of those things were from God because the Holy Spirit did it. And he knew that God was at work in both of these things ultimately because these two evidences given by the Holy Spirit were evidences that in eternity past, this people had been chosen by God. And so he gives thanks to God. Friends, when you see these evidences in your life or in a brother and sister's life and in the lives of those that we preach the gospel to, what you're seeing is evidence that in eternity past, God has chosen them. I don't know how many of you have walked in this morning struggling with doubt, trusting a little too much in yourself to hold yourself together and your faith together. Do you see the marvelous, mind-boggling hope of this text? That if these evidences, your faith, receiving the gospel in joy, even in the midst of affliction, when you hear the gospel, you know that's God's gospel, it's God's message, and it's come to me. If those evidences are true in your life, your assurance of salvation goes much deeper, much further back than just some day that you made a decision. Your salvation goes back into eternity past with God's gracious, sovereign choice of you. And because your assurance goes all the way back there, you can do what the Thessalonians do at the end of chapter 1. 
when they say that they'll wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They know because we have these evidences in our life, we were chosen by God in eternity past, and we can have hope that he will save us from the wrath to come. This should give you every reason in the world to be thankful to God for your, for your salvation and for one another's salvation. Above all the things that we could save each other, what could produce more gratefulness in our hearts towards God than to know that we are his beloved chosen people.